Hello, and welcome to The Donfather, a family podcast about the Essendon Football Club. And after what promised so much in the first half of the season has ended in the most despondent, disgraceful, terrible way possible. Losing by almost a combined total of 200 points in the last two weeks. Asking, suggesting that there would be a response and turning up and, well, actually not turning up in the first quarter at all. Conceding, what did we concede? Eight or nine goals in the first quarter? I can't remember, Laura. What did we concede? No idea. A lot. Something disgraceful. It was. It was terrible. It it was terrible, but are we going to be all doom and gloom from the outset? Uh, no, but we have to be doom and gloom to begin with because that's how the listeners are feeling and that's what the listeners want. Uh, three goals for the game. Three goals, 13 mm. for the game. Uh, versus 16-5. Look, to be honest, if we'd kicked a little bit straighter, it wouldn't have been as terrible. Um, but just woeful. After the week that they had against GWS, to come out and not even show up in the first quarter, just terrible. Terrible, terrible. Right? Terrible. I was so confident they were going to bounce back. We all know how stupid I was that I was that confident they would bounce back. I don't know what gave you confidence because we're playing Parish's 150th, which means... I didn't realise that till Friday night. Uh, which means that like the Essendon traditionally do, they definitely get up for a milestone game. I mean, we lost the captains by 77 points. Why should it be mm. any different to our you know, uh, other current All-Australian? And our um, one of our club favourites, Waller and Andrew Phillips' mm. last game. Like, yeah, why game. would we? Why would we pull out a performance? Hey. Mm. Mm. And Matthew and I were talking about this sort of at the bye, and we say there was a world where we only win two more games for the season. And geez, our prediction was not far off, was it? Mm. It wasn't. It wasn't. I'll tell you what, I'm flat as a tack. Like, I was thinking about this as I was cooking dinner just before. Mm. And, like, the season's done. Friday night was so crap. You know, it was a long mm. weekend of no footy. I mean, I was distracted with other things. But, like, man, I'm flat today. Mm, mm. It's, it's hard sometimes to be... Mm to be as crazy about football as we are. I know no. it, it annoys Ashley immensely. Yeah. Um, and it's it's tough when you actually put energy into following a football team that just lets you down so often, especially, and, and don't get me wrong, early in our membership, we had some really good years. Sort of, we joined up in 99, so we saw 99, 2000, and there was an era there where, it was actually really good to go to the footy and, and we were... Remember when we used to get bored at the footy because we would kick that many goals and just smash team after team after team? Oh. I, I regret I regret feeling bored at those games. Oh, my sweet child of summer. Yes, they were. They were the days. Um, so we're, we're lucky in that we've seen some success and, and, and 
some other regulars on this pod have never seen some success in terms of Matthew and, and Nicholas, right? So we, mm. we've seen a little bit of that. But one thing that um, non-footy nuffies don't understand is actually what you – the energy that you put into following a football team, like the amount of brain space that you dedicate to following a football team and the amount of social time that you put into following a football team. It's just – it's bizarre. And I literally very... plan my social calendar around the football fixture. Oh, like yeah. that's how that's how invested I am. We get together and record our conversation on a Monday and then we release it on the internet is how nutso we are about football, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and we're not the only ones. There's a lot out there. There's a lot of footy nuffies out there. But when you and this is I think how most supporters feel and the listeners can can message us if if we're incorrect. But we feel like we are not getting value from our investment. And we're not talking financial investment or anything like that. But we feel like we're not getting emotional value and we're not getting matched in our investment by the players. And that is where the disappointment comes from. Because in the last couple games, and so often following Essendon in the last, let's say, 10 years, um, there's been times when the players seem to just not care. And we know that that's not true, that they do care, but it's the perception that's the problem, not the reality. Because for us, our perception is our reality. And when they're not tackling and not running back on defense and not making easy kicks and those sorts of things, it's it's tough to watch and it's not fun. Mm, I agree. And, but, and but- Keep going. What do you think it is? Because I cannot imagine that they're not going there and giving 100%, like not giving 100%. You know, I can't imagine that that's the case. So I know that's how it looks from the supporter point of view, but that's not – if you're a professional professional athlete, you're not turning up there going, I'm not going to give my all today. Like I want to lose by 20 goals. Like that's not what your mindset is. Mm, I agree. I agree. And the reality is, and this is sort of what I thought we might discuss this episode, the reality is it's the culture. Essendon's football, Essendon Football Club's culture has been so poor for so long. And there was, and I think it comes down to, ultimately, Kevin Sheedy was the coach for far too long. And when he left, he was the embodiment. He created the culture. He was such an institution of that football club. And he was in such control of the football club, which was normal early on when he was coaching in the the mid-80s and into the early 90s. It was normal for the coach to be the heart of the culture of the football club. Um, And when he left, the club lost its way. didn't know what to do because he would have embodied so many things that other football clubs and so, so many roles that other football clubs had spread across the football department and and other people and it's a bit like Manchester United with Sir Alex Ferguson that when you've got such a strong figure they leave a gaping hole when they exit especially if they haven't created a succession plan and move that on so i think that's that's issue number 1 and so mm-hmm. we saw that in the Matthew Knights era and the way that he degraded the culture more by moving on players 
that were legends of the football club before it was their time, namely Matthew Lloyd, right? Essentially mm. forcing Matthew Lloyd to retire when he was something like 50 or 70 goals from kicking a 1,000. And mm. the right, the correct and respect, because he was still playing good football at the time, the correct mm. and respectful thing to do would have been to let him play and, and play in his best role, which was full forward, until it was time to retire. Um, they didn't mm. do that, and they got the appointment wrong. And then there was a sniff of that Essendon culture returning, and I think David Evans actually did a really good job of bringing an Essendon-centric early 2000s culture back into the football club by hiring Hurd, Thompson, Wellman, Wallace, and getting that group back together. And, um, of course, mistakes were made, and, and we all know we don't need to go over the saga. And I think from that point, the football club, the supporter base, the players have had such a woe-is-me victim mentality that as soon as the chips get down, they throw their hands in the air and they go, oh, it's all too hard. And that's why you get these fade-outs in games, you get these incredible blowouts, and you get the, this disparity between our best and our worst. Because it's very easy to be committed to team structure, committed to a game plan, committed to a vision when things are going well. When you know you've got a good culture, when things are going poorly and you consistently do the things, still that discipline things, the defending, the um, the turning up to training, the lifestyle things that Brad Scott is talking about. And I just think that due to the saga, the Essendon lost a lot of its connection to the really successful eras, be, the, be it with personnel or players or whatever, and have not had the balls because they had to be apologists to the players um, that they haven't had the balls to instill or they haven't had the right people to instill a new winning culture. Mm-hmm. You make some good points there, definitely. It's almost like they were, I have this example with some of some of the kids that I treat. You know, I have a lot of kids that have additional needs mm. and it's almost like um, some of the, because some of those kids go through so much, mm-hmm. so I, therapies, surgeries, appointments, all of that kind of stuff, when they're little, you make concessions for them because mm-hmm. you're trying to compensate for this quote-unquote trauma that they're having mm-hmm. um, in their day-to-day life, you know, the pain, the the all of the things. Mm-hmm. And so then what happens and what I'm seeing with some of my kids now that are becoming older, um, they almost come across as spoiled brats because, mm-hmm. you know, in, in physio you have to let them win because they have to succeed at the end. And, you know, in this therapy, you have to let them win because X, Y, and Z, and they become almost spoilt brats and, and sore losers mm. because you've made these concessions through their life for, um, I guess, valid reasons. But what happens is it doesn't probably teach them how to get around in society as it functions. So if we're going to talk about the players, it's like, potentially they were 
allowed to get away with lesser standards than some other clubs potentially, lifestyle, and I'm talking maybe concessions from, you know, not 2016 but 13, 14, 15 when the players were going through so much, there was almost a justification why they might have not been training hard or they might not have been living the the lifestyle of a professional athlete. Mm. But it was kind of like, well, that's okay because mentally you're all in the toilet. So we're going to give you, we're going to let you get away with that. And obviously what's happened is that new players come in from other clubs or younger, younger players are drafted. And this is the example that they're getting from the more ex- experienced players. And so that's kind of seen as the acceptable standard at the club. Mm-hmm. And when, when you see someone who's played... 150, 200 games, it's viewed with respect by the supporter base, etc. doing these things, you think then, oh, that's okay for me to do that. And and it's not even a conscious thing. It could be a subconscious thing. And mm. and, and the thing is when, when well, you're Well, that's new, what culture is, right? That's right. When you're new in your role in any workplace, you kind of, you, you want to fit in and you don't want to mm. make waves. And so you just do for the large part, what everyone else is doing, you know, and mm. you can excel at your own role and mm. still fit into that culture of, of the club or the team or the workplace, right? Mm. Um, and I think there is, to me, there seems to be quite a bit of that. And part of that mental fragility is when we were listening to um, Zach Merritt at the um, the night we went to just after the Dreamtime game, he said something really interesting and and at the time, we mentioned on the pod, at the time he said, look, for a long time, the players have felt like their ability to have success is out of their own control or is it, was out of our control. And now we feel like it is. And so that I view that at the time as a positive and it still is a positive that they view it's within their control, right? But mm. I think that indicates a little bit of mental fragility that it's not that difficult to think, to fall back into the habit of like, oh, it's out of my control. There's nothing I can mm. do to stop this five or six or seven goal run. There's nothing I can do to stop this um, season getting out of control. And it's easy to fall into that mental habit and that mental programming unless you've got enough evidence to support otherwise and unless mm. you've got incredible dis- discipline and self-belief to support mm. otherwise. Um, and the the way that happens in football clubs is with on-field leaders and mm. um and with coaching staff and those sorts of things and so mm. that that change takes quite a bit of time to happen mm. uh and i was listening to a few things today um and over the weekend that i'm not quite as down on the season in the last two weeks as I was sort of seven days ago. Um, but, mm. for, but before we would jump into that, I just want to cover a little bit of Essendon news that's happened today. Obviously, we had the retirements of of Tipper, uh, Waller and Andrew Phillips. T- spoke about Andrew Phillips when he announced his retirement. Um, but Tipper, legend of the football club, more incredible story um, from where he's come from and, and how he got to playing AFL footy, let alone mm. made a comeback. And I don't think we can really do him justice by discussing on this football, on this podcast, how much he means to us as supporters and how much he means to the football club. Uh, he'll, he's he'll just go captured down. everybody's hearts, hasn't he? 
Yeah, he'll go down as one of the, the greatest Indigenous players that has ever worn the Essendon jumper. Um, yeah. You know, he doesn't have the the awards and the accolades, but for his impact on, on the football club, just incredible. So um, congratulations on a great career. Um, then we had um, the delistings de- of uh, four um, unlucky players. James Stewart, I'm... I can understand why the club did it. I'm very disappointed in it, um, given the year that he's had and given him at his best. Um, I think he could have been very helpful next year, particularly playing alongside Peter Wright if if his body was 100%. Um, so, look, I think it, it's a difficult decision that the club needed to make, but ultimately I, I would have preferred to keep him, but I, but I understand the decision. Um, I thought he might have retired given where his body was at, but I can understand him wanting to play on. I would be wanting to play on if I if I was towards the tail end of my career and thought I had more to give. Um, so I hope he gets picked up and good luck to him. Um, and then Alastair Lord, uh, never played a game, was subbed once, uh, but one of those unfortunate ones that just didn't quite crack it through um, so good luck to him. Rhett Montgomery, another one that, that got a year on the rookie list out of the Sandful. Look, and looked good in patches on the VFL, um, but obviously the club's decided to go in a different direction. Um, and I think you say his name, Can McBride. Um, they call him Willie at the football club. Uh, after, I think, four years on the list, uh, the club's decided to um, that they're not going to persist with him. Uh, ultimately, very talented, very athletic, but just couldn't quite break into the team. Hmm. It's a tough game, isn't it, sometimes? It is. And then obviously, um, I don't know if you caught Channel 9 News, but Parrish has said he's going to be signing, so that'll get done. Oh, I didn't see that. Yeah, yeah, no. I actually was was thinking, you know, it was taking so long that he was probably going elsewhere. Nah, no, he wants to stay. And Brad Scott sent his press conference after the game that he's desperate to stay and and they want to keep him. So that'll get done. Mm. It'll get done, Mm. you know obviously before the, the trade and free agency period, which is good. It, it means that it's close and it means that, that we can start looking ahead mm. to other things, um, mm-hmm. which is very good. Um, yeah. So jumping back into that discussion that we were having yes. about the culture, about the change. So can I had a little bit... Of... Yeah. Oh, sorry, go. No, you go. I just want to say, right, so we'll come back to the culture. However, if... At the start of the season, someone had said, we're going to win 11 games. And miss out on the by one game. We would have actually been fairly happy with that. Definitely. As, as, a, as a result. I think the problem with it is, is if it had been, you know, like win a couple, lose a couple, win a couple, lose a couple, and that kind of consistency across the season – we would be, I think, sitting here with a very different opinion. But the problem is that they won, what, nine of them before the bye. And then mm. after the bye, it's almost like a different team came back. And then the last few performances, all just beating the bottom side, just beating North Melbourne, um, then losing by 120 points to GWS. Like, I think the final few performances is what gives us this perspective. But if we went back to the start of the season and we had been sitting here saying we were one game outside of finals, we would have been happy with that as a result. Yeah, I agree. No, for me, the the big disappointment was not the win-loss at the end of the season or the percentage at the end of the season. It's that in the first half of the year, even when we lost games, we were in them. And we thought finally 
we're getting a consistent Essendon, where the gap between their best and their worst is getting closer and closer. And then that Fremantle game happened, and we're like, oh, this is not a good sign. This is our first real bad performance of the year. Then we had another two good performances, and then since then, we've had poor performance after poor performance after poor performance. So for me, the disappointing thing is not the win-loss and not that we missed the finals and et cetera, et cetera. If you, if you look at the, the season from a numbers point of view, it's about where we expected. It's, it's mm. worse than we hoped, uh, a little bit better than was expected, right? Um, mm-hmm. But it's the fact that that inconsistency is back, which Essendon is going to turn up each week. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I, I agree with you that, yeah, you'd probably take this season in a building year. Um, oh, and on top of that, it's a little bit more news. Uh, Redmond, Merritt, and Langford in the All-Australian squad. So you would take that oh, as a year. Redmond as well. Yeah, I was surprised by Redmond. Uh, wow. I'm disappointed not Nick Martin. But yeah, I thought Redmond has had better years. But hey. Um, he, had we'll some, take... he had some really good games this he year. He did. Um, so I don't expect Redmond to make the team, but I, I reckon Langford deserves it and Merritt. Definitely mm-hmm. deserves it. Um, so, yeah, I agree. I think it's that, for me, it's that inconsistency between our best and our worst. When we got teased a bit, it felt like we'd bridged that gap. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I had some time today in my lunch break to mm-hmm. do a little bit of a comparison. Um, and if you remember back to 2016, we finished bottom... Mm-hmm. And Brisbane finished second bottom. Mm-hmm. So in the seven years since, this is what has happened. So we finished 18th, they finished 17th. We kept our number one pick. And in that draft, we took uh, McGrath, Ridley, and I believe Redmond in that draft. Mm-hmm. So that was a really good draft for us. Um Particularly, I would say probably our best player out of that draft right now is is Ridley. Second best is Redmond, and third is McGrath. But both, all three have turned into a hundred to two hundred game players. Mm-hmm. Um, you know whether we're getting the absolute star quality that you would expect from a number one out of McGrath or not. He is mm-hmm. a very good AFL player. Um, mm-hmm. So I think that draft was okay for us. What Brisbane did is they traded back to pick from pick two to pick three and pick 16. Mm-hmm. And they took, in that draft, McCluggage, Jared Berry, Alex Witherden, and Cedric Cox. So, mm-hmm. uh, four very good players. 2017, we finished seventh, and they finished 18th. So, they've only mm-hmm. and they've gone down a spot. We finished seventh, they finished 18th. They traded in Luke Hodge and Charlie Cameron. And mm-hmm. they, they traded um, Cameron out for pick 12. And they took Cam Rayner at number one. Then they got Zach Bailey, Stasevich, and Jared Payne. So in two drafts, they've created the core of their current team. They've brought in the experience of Hodge. And they've gotten, potentially, the best small forward in the competition. Mm-hmm. The next year, they finish 15th. We finish 11th. They trade in Lincoln McCarthy, who's still playing. And the big one, this is the year that we got Dylan Scheel. They got Lockie Neal for pick six and a, and a, um, a couple other swaps of picks. And we paid two first rounders for Dylan Scheel. 
<laughs> I think that deal is probably better for them. Mind you, in um, in 2017, we that was the year we brought in Smith, Stringer, and Saad. Um, mm-hmm. And you would say that probably, well, that Saad, was... Saad and Smith are no longer at the football club. Stringer mm. has been so-so, you'd say, mm. in terms of value for, mm. for trading out of entire draft. Um, yeah. So... Uh, 2018, we finished 11th. They finished 15th, and they bring in Lockie Neal. So in th- in two years, they've brought in Hodge, Cameron, and Neal. Plus, they've drafted um, and and McCarthy. Plus, they've drafted the core of their current uh, finals potentially premiership winning team. Mm-hmm. Right, we finished 11th. 2019, we go we finish eighth, get smashed in an elimination final. They finish second and go out in a semi final. 2020, mm-hmm. we finished 13. They finished second again and play in a prelim. 2021, we finished eighth, get smashed in a final. They finished fourth and go out in the semis. Last year, we finished 15th. They finished sixth but end up playing in the prelim. And then this year, we've finished 11th and they've finished second. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they're going to get one, if not two, home finals and a double chance. So, my. I guess discussion about this is I think their list management has been much better. They were at the bottom of the ladder, still managed to attract Hodge, one of the best players of his generation, Mm. Uh, Charlie Cameron, who is currently the best small forward in the competition. And in Mm -hmm. the next year, Lockie Neal, who's won, has he won one or two Brownlow? He's won a Brownlow. Mm, I don't know if he's He's won won one. Right. And for me, the very clear difference here is they had a really good football-focused CEO come in, Greg Swan. They brought in a very culture-focused coach in Chris Fagan, and they've had very good list management to this point. And you can see the difference in that seven years. We've treaded water, done nothing, pinballed up and down, up and down, up and down, made Mm -hmm. poor trading and drafting decisions for the Mm -hmm. most part, and they're playing off. And, you know, are one of the favourites to win the grand final this year Mm. Um, and for me ultimately that comes down to two things a mission where their focus clearly has been about on-field football performances and Mm -hmm. two they've been able to create a really good culture that players want to come to and that gets the best out of themselves Mm -hmm. and we just haven't been able to do that for so many Years. Mm. Yep. Yep. So, what that says to me, if I'm reading between the lines, is that Adrian Dodoro maybe hasn't been the list manager that, because I know often there's a lot of talk of him, and, um, you know, he was sometimes he's spoken about as a genius almost. Um, but I, I would say that our performance suggests otherwise. I, I don't think it's his, solely his fault. What I think is that the football club has been rudderless and directionless for so long. And the football club has been flip-flopping and unwilling to commit to a longer-term vision. So, mm-hmm. you know, we finish 
18th because of we'd lost all the players. We get the players back. We have to make list management decisions. We have to overpay those players almost to apologize for the shit that they went through. Then we make the finals and we get ahead of ourselves and we go, okay, let's load up and push further. So we, mm-hmm. we send out all our draft picks for Sm- Saad, Smith, and Stringer. But ultimately, it, nothing changes because the culture hasn't changed. Mm-hmm. And then... We kind of draft and trade, draft and trade. We bring in Shield the next year, again, thinking that we're going to load up. And because the culture hasn't changed, we don't get that long-term success. And now we're of the, we have the issue where we don't really have anyone older than 26 years old on the list because we either didn't draft them at the time mm-hmm. or we haven't been able to retain them because our culture has mm-hmm. been so poor. And mm-hmm. so... Is it Adrian Dodoro's fault if one year he gets told, no, we've got a five-year vision, and the next year, no, we've got a two-year vision, five-year vision, two-year vision, five-year vision, two-year vision? So how can you make consistent long-term decisions mm. for the list mm. if if the direction of the football club keeps changing? So you get a new coach in. He's got a different opinion. He, he needs a different type of player to what this coach had. And Do you, do you know what I'm trying to say? Yeah. Yes. They're very um, short-term thinking where really they need someone to do what Brendan Gale did at Richmond and say, okay, this is our vision, our mission, our ethos, and in this amount of time we are going to be winning a flag. And at the time he was basically laughed at. Yep. However, yep. In, in exactly in that time frame, they won the first of their three flags. That's right. And the thing is that... When I read Essendon's mission statement when Xavier Campbell was the CEO, nowhere on there or very far down the list was actually being good as, as a football team. It, I don't know why it wasn't number one. And the, the thing is, when Dave Barham came in, I think even when um, the president um, before uh, Brasher was in, that changed mm. very quickly. And mm. ultimately, the number one indicator was we we need to be a successful football team our core business is football and certainly that has been the case since barham came in Mm. and that has been uh the messaging that brad scott has brought in no Mm -hmm. we are about creating the best football program in the country and in the world that's been his consistent message and i think Mm -hmm. that is a good mission statement or a good vision to have I would argue, as someone who's read a lot of Simon Sinek, doesn't quite jump into the why. Um, mm. And I think I really like his uh, method of starting with why. So why are you doing this? How are you doing this? And then mm-hmm. finally, what are you doing? But just because mm-hmm. he don't, Brad Scott hasn't articulated that doesn't mean he's not starting with why. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, he's very, very clear that my job is to create a world-class football program. Mm-hmm. and. Mm-hmm. The positive that I've had out of the last couple of days is, like all of us, I was really disappointed with the effort. But uh, I listened to an interview from Langford. I listened to an interview from Merritt. And I've heard some reports recently of what happened in the rooms after the game and the massive blow-up that the players had. Mm. And the conversation... I'm curious about this blow up. Like, who were they blowing up at? No, I, when when I say big blow up, I don't think it was a massive argument. I think they had just finally had an honest conversation, mm. and the 
a moment like that can go, and I, and again, I'll, I'll kind of elaborate on this. I think that's an event that can ultimately change the course of a football club and can ultimately change the culture of a football club. Because mm. listening to Langford's interview and listening to Merritt's interview, they are like us. They are tired of being mediocre, of being shit, of being such a nothing in the AFL landscape. They want to make something of their careers. Mm. And there hasn't been someone at the football club in a leadership role since Brendan Goddard that has been willing to have those tough conversations. Mm. And I think Merritt is finally fed up enough. And he has, I think, well, I believe, with Langford, with McGrath, with Redmond, I think there's a core there that so desperately wants success that they're willing to be uncompromising in the pursuit of that success. And that's certainly yeah. what, what I took from the interviews with them and the conversations that have come out since. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's, yeah. I feel like it's a turning point. Yeah. I feel like it's a turning point. Well, I hope it's a turning point, but I, I feel I, I feel like it could be a turning point. And it, and it just depends on the leadership from here. And so then Brad Scott was saying in his press conference that we have a lot of work to do in terms of what does it look like to live an AFL lifestyle? So mm -hmm. I think we have the people at the football club now, certainly in the leadership positions, that um, know what it takes. Brad Scott played in, he was in the Brisbane Lions really successful era. He definitely played in one of the premierships. I don't know if he played in multiple premierships there. Um, we can Google that right now. He played in three, didn't he? Uh, I don't know if he played in all three, but he uh, – let's see. Bradley David Walter Scott. It's mm. a solid name. Bradley What's David Wikipedia? What's Wikipedia uh, telling us? So, playing statistics. I didn't realise he played at Hawthorne. Yeah, for a little while. Two-time AFL Premiership player, 2001-2002. So did – uh, he missed the 2003 premiership. Okay, cool. Um, so he's a double premiership player and he played in an era with, you know, some of the greats, Voss, uh, Lappin, mm -hmm. uh, all those guys, Jonathan mm -hmm. Brown, et cetera, et cetera. So he knows what it takes to be successful as a player. Uh, mm -hmm. He hasn't had the ultimate success as a coach, but he's then mm -hmm. spent three or four years at the AFL seeing exactly what every team spends every single cent on. Mm -hmm. So he knows what they spend coaching, their money on coaching, they knows where they spend their money on fitness, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So mm -hmm. I think he is a coach that knows what it takes, which mm -hmm. then can channel the obsessive uh, preparation that you have in the leaders of Merritt, McGrath, Shield, Langford, right? Mm -hmm. And I think that is potentially enough of a core group to mm -hmm. create a cultural shift and an uncompromising pursuit of success. Mm -hmm. And like he said, he's done a pre-season, but he hasn't done an off-season. Yeah, fair. Well, he was here from about this time last year. Mm. Um but oh, maybe a month later. But mm. what 
Yeah, what that means is he gets to say, you know, this is what is acceptable over your break, et cetera, et cetera. Mm. Um, And so I think the other thing that I really liked is today's obviously Mad Monday and Mm. normally you would see uh, videos or pictures. Like we saw it with Geelong, right? They all went out Mm. and had their Mad Monday and that made the news. Mm. Essendon had exit meetings today. Did they? Yeah, and I think – so for me, the thing, if I was involved in this football club and let's say, you know, I was the captain of the football club, i.e. Zach Merritt, what I mm. would have done is said, okay, uh, we're not having Mad Monday – well, we are having Mad Monday this year, but it's at my house and we're having a barbecue and mm. we're going to actually channel this energy that we have from this poor finish to the season and we're going to discuss where we're going next year um, mm. and what we want to do. Um, and well, I don't I, think it was quite that, but it looks low key because Kyle Langford's Instagram story is just him playing golf. Yeah, no, so, no dress ups, no, no anything. Yeah, so I think I think Brad Scott has been very clever in that he's planned exit meetings for today, and probably mm. got them in doing reviews and that sort of thing, and delayed Mad Monday, um, mm. just to extend the misery a little bit for these mm. players, right? Mm. Because it'd be very easy to – and it's not me begrudging Geelong. Geelong missed finals, but, man, they won last year's grand final and they've been successful for so many years. So mm. if that football club wants to let their hair down after one poor season, they can do it. But I think mm. I really like that – and I, I'm certain this has come from Brad Scott – that essentially they didn't have Mad Monday today. Mm. And that's mm. not to say that the players don't deserve to let their hair down and, you know, like we used to do after exams, um, Yeah, you blow some steam and, you know, you get through a stress, stressful period and you um, you catch up with your mates and, and get through. That's The players are absolutely entitled to do that. Mm. But I like that they've just delayed it at least 24 hours mm. and they've been back at the club and they've had some conversations and, you know, I'm not, I don't. I'm not glad that those players got delisted today, but mm. it's a reality of football. Um, mm. But it's, yeah, it it just sets a good, another little sign that's a good precedent for me. Well, absolutely. I don't think any Essendon supporter would have been too happy seeing the boys out there, you know, drunk as skunks or whatever and dressed up and having a, a good time. Like, I don't think, I even think, Zach Merritt as a leader, he would have been, I think he would have been a big one saying, look, we have ended this season poorly. We don't really deserve right now to go out and have this huge celebration. Like, yes, let's let our hair down and maybe do something in the off season. But I feel like he's the type of leader that would have said like, you know, this is not happening. Mm, mm. Which, you know, if that is the case, great. Great. Mm. And wherever it's come from, whoever is directing it, I'm really pleased with that. Um, and so we can take this sort of disappointment that we've had, but yeah, I just got a little bit of positivity coming out of not the fact that these results happen, but the response that seems to have. It's, a, it's not quite the perfect response. Like I would have preferred that after the GWS game, someone came out, like Zach Merritt or someone came out and said, look, well, I'm at this football club. That is the last time that this effort happens. This is never going to mm. happen again, right? They, they didn't, mm. but, you know, just because that's what I would have done doesn't mean that that's the right thing to do. Mm. Um, but I do like this delaying of Mad Monday for sure. 
Mm. And I think there's certainly, there's already been some some list change and I think there's a little bit more to come um, over the next little while. Mm. Um, but for the listeners out there, I, like I say, I think finally we're in the right direction. And um, I did a little bit of digging today after um, listening to Brad yeah. Scott talk. Do you actually about, work when you're at work or what's the go? Uh, yeah, this is all my lunch break. Um, you have very long lunch breaks. Only an hour. Only an hour? I had 15 minutes today. 15 minutes. It sucks to be you, mate. Anywho, continue. Work, work smarter, not harder. Oh, God, I'm not doing either. Um, I mean, I'm working very hard. I'm not working very smart at all. So the... I think what Brad Scott was referring to into the, in terms of professionalism of mm. an AFL a lifestyle is I think there's a there's a little group of boys at the football club um, that take their day off a little too freely, um, and that's not to suggest that they are into illicit drugs or they're drinking to excess or whatever, but the reality is um, if you want to get the best out of your body, you mm. just simply should not be drinking during football mm. season at all. Mm. Because so, so where do you, where did you do this digging? I'll keep that to myself. Um mm. and, and again I'm not I'm not making any suggestions that this is they're drinking too overly to excess or anything like that or they're they're getting into trouble because it's certainly not that if they were getting into trouble that would be coming through the media. But mm. it's just what Men in their early twenties do like mm. I did it. I used to go out with a uh, friend of the show, Christopher Costi, quite a lot, and we'd have a good time and be out late and have a few drinks, and um, you know, never got into any trouble. But that, our little noodle is out having a good time over in, in Europe. Europe right now, and so. But the problem so, is, saw so a little little uh, post on our own Matty V's. Instagram this week of his good time over the weekend. Everybody yeah, does is, it. Yeah, which is absolutely 100% a normal thing to do and something that they should do when the time is appropriate. But I think uh, if you're a professional athlete and it's in the mm. middle of the season and you want to get mm. the best out of yourself, mm. just don't do it. Just don't yeah. drink. Spend yeah. your day off recovery. You don't have to spend it training. Spend your day off recovering, spend your day off looking after your body, spend your day off getting really good sleep, spend your day off doing the little accessory work that goes the extra mile. Um, don't spend it partying. Don't, yeah. don't spend it recovering from a night out the night before. There's, there's, time, there's definitely a time and a place for it. But if that was me as a professional athlete in season, I just would not be uh, heading out and would not be drinking at all. I wouldn't even be having mm. – well, I don't drink anyway, but I wouldn't even be having red wine with dinner, nothing, mm. um, because it's that consistent build-up. And I say this to my patients with their braces all the time. It's not that, you know, 15 minutes or half an hour out of your brace is necessarily a problem, but it's when you do that half an hour multiple times a day and then that becomes multiple times a week and then suddenly before you know it, you're getting a huge amount of time out of your brace that someone else is not getting. Um, and it's just that those li- build-up of little things that ultimately result in you missing the eight and not, mm-hmm. as a group, as a collective, not 
charging for a flag. Mm. Yeah. And I agree so, wholeheartedly. And so I think from a list management point of view, I think we absolutely cannot move on uh, someone like Dylan Scheel because mm. he is an incredibly meticulous trainer, an incredibly professional athlete. And mm. I think that those are the kinds of people that you need to keep at your football club. No, not to mention that when he's fit, as in not injured, he mm. is a best 22 player. That's not even mm. without without question. But mm. it's his leadership and guidance around the group. Uh, mm. Andrew McGrath, Zach Merritt, all... Very well mm. known. Langford, very well known for meticulous preparation and professionalism. Mm. So what we need to do as a football club is bring in a couple more of those people. Um, one of those I would have thought would have been um, Jake Melksham uh, from a successful program back to the Bombers, but um, out of contract this year, but did his knee. So I don't think that will be uh, incredibly successful. The other one I would look at is someone like an Andrew Gaff. Um Although he hasn't won a premiership, was at a very successful West Coast. Has he been playing? What's, what's he has deal? been. Yeah, he's played just played twenty three games this year. Um, yeah. But they're the kinds of players that sort of late twenties, mm. potentially up to thirty, and only a couple of them to just come in and provide a little bit of extra leadership and a little bit of extra guidance around the group from successful programs. Mm. Yeah. It's interesting that you talk about this professionalism because remember a few years ago when when Zach Merritt was um, dropped out of the leadership team and it kind mm. of came out that he wasn't really well liked or he you know mm-hmm. it, it's or it's almost like now it's kind of actually making sense that he was trying to bring a level of pro- professionalism to what he was doing mm-hmm. and it's almost like it wasn't sitting well with the other players that weren't willing to match his level. Mm. And and the reality is now, and this is why I'm much more positive now than previously, is he's the captain. Mm. And so not only does he get to try and drive the standards himself, he actually has the position within the club where that's his role is to drive those mm. standards. And that's not to say mm. that Heppel wasn't a good captain. He's just a different captain. And that's mm. not to say that Heppel's not professional because he's had a very long career, right? Mm. Um it's just that he's a different captain and I think one that Essendon needs. Mm-hmm. I agree. Absolutely. He he definitely feels like the, the captain that will take us to our next premiership. If if we get the list around him in time. Mm. Mm. Uh, we missed that in news as well, Heppel signing a one-year extension. Yeah, which I'm, I'm really excited about. Uh, I think he's deserved it this year and okay. I think he can – probably play another year if he plays as consistently next year as he did this year. Yeah. Yeah. Um there is there's talk that Zerk might ask for a trade. I'll be um, absolutely devastated if that happens. Yeah, I'll be sad to see him go, but I think we need to get aggressive with list management. Um mm. so if he asks for a trade, I say yep, let him go, get as much value as you can for him. Uh definitely we we either go hard at Mackay or we do everything we absolutely can to sort out the injury issues that we have with Cox and Reed, mm. um, because if we can get Reed on the park, I think he'll be an incredible uh, 
centre half back, full back for us, and potentially even Cox if we can get them on the park. Reed's a really good kick of the football. Um, and so you end up with Ridley and Reed as really good deliverers out of the back line, really good intercept markers. And Baldwin is the third that I think is a really good user of the football. Uh, and throw in uh, Baldwin has a contract offer in front of him. Uh, D'Ambrosio is looking like he's going to sign as well. So that's that's four really good users by foot. Um, mm. And I think that's enough to start to address our turnover issues, particularly in the back half. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Do you so, think a Mackay and BZT is a either or, or there's space for both of them? No, I think there's space for both. Mm. Yeah, I'd, I'll be sad. I, I really like Zerk. I, re- I like mm, him a lot. I'll same. be sad if he goes. But at some point, you have to give up something to get something. And I think... I think Essendon should be going all in on trying to move up to the number one pick this year. Mm-hmm. Um, and say Brian has a contract offer on the table, but he's also got some interest from West Coast. I think if he wants to go, I think we try and engineer a trade that gets us up to number one pick. Surely Brian doesn't go. I hope not. I hope not because we really need another Ruckman, let alone just him. And I think he'll mm. get a lot of game time next year. Mm. Yeah, that would be uh, a shame. But again, if he if he wants to go, I think we've got to we've got to change what we've been doing. Mm. Um, and we either have to commit to going all in on the draft or fixing our list through free agency, etc. Um, mm. but yeah, again, if Brian wants to go to West Coast, I think we we make a big play and we try. Was he from the- Perth? No, he's he went to Kerry. Did he, Nick Bryan? Yeah. Hmm. Um, Never knew that. Yeah, he was in the same year as um, oh no, St Kevin. Sorry, I thought he was a Kerry boy. Mm-hmm. Um, for some reason, I thought I saw him in uh, some photos of you know how Are we you get the torch. Of Darcy Moore. Mm, no, no, no. I thought it was Brian. Uh, must mm. be some other tall, skinny kid. Mm. Um, but anyway, he's a Melbourne boy. Yeah, right. Yeah, so I'd be disappointed to lose him. Yeah, yeah. But um, I think we've waffled on enough, Laura. I think the listeners, I think we should put them out over their misery. It's been another interesting year. Um, we'll probably come back uh, post-trade and have a discussion about the list then. If, um, if we can get the crew together sometime in October, I don't know how easy mm-hmm. that'll be to do, but that's the plan. Mm-hmm. Um. We've made it. We got through a, what's this, our third full year of not missing a week? Or maybe we, no, we missed one week because the episode got corrupted. Um, I think Did we mi- well, but, oh, last year, yeah. But we didn't miss it. It just, there was, yeah. Episode corrupted. Um, so exactly. it's been, look, the first half of the year was really good. And like you say, I think if, if we look at the year in totality, um, Ultimately, I'm relatively pleased, um, Mm -hmm. only given that it seems to me that the pennies dropped in the group and the pennies dropped. The the penny dropped last year at the football club, but it seems to have dropped in the playing group. Um, And if that creates, is the catalyst for uh, permanent change, then I'm all for it. Yeah, I agree with you. I agree. It's going to be a long off season. I hate when footy finishes. That's why you've got to jump on the A-League, mate. Oh, nah. 
I also like to have flexibility in my schedule. Yeah, it is nice to have uh, your weekends back mm. and your Mondays back. Yes, yes. But um, I, I was actually thinking that, um, yeah, it would be nice to have my Monday nights back, not mm. be in such a rush. Mm. But, yeah, mm. thank you, listeners, for sticking with us over uh, this season. It's been an interesting ride. Hopefully... Uh, it's it gets been better a better season overall. I think. I think it's been a. I've enjoyed this season. Definitely the first half of the year for sure. It was very mm. fun. Only uh, to the last couple of weeks. Yeah, but um, look, I think I think we are going to get quite a few changes in the off season. So we'll. It's likely that I we'll hate come this back on. time of year when all my favourites start getting delisted or sacked or um, ch- moving. I'm, I'm, less emotional this year than any other year. I'm I'm sick of us being crap. So mm. I say if we have to do something, we've mm. got to change something. And so I'm all for it. As much as I I love them all as people, um, mm. you know, as far as the ones that I've met, etc. Mm. You've this football club needs to go forward. And and yeah. what we've been doing to date has not been working clearly. Yeah. You know? Um so I agree. Yes. I agree. Well, thanks for joining me, Laura. My pleasure. Thanks for joining us, listeners. Find us on Instagram, all that goodness, Facebook, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. All the good places where you listen to your podcast. Apple, yeah, Spotify. yeah. We'll, we'll post when a new episode comes out, sort of around. I don't know if we'll get to it before trade week but certainly after trade week if if there's enough exciting stuff to happen we'll, we'll go through it then um but until next time go don't <laughs>